0: Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: I'll make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss... Against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Again, their conduct, honorable among the Gentiles. How can I keep from
0: Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio for today. We learn today how our honorable conduct can glorify our God and even turn others towards God. Pastor Rob leads us on a journey through the book of Daniel that shows us how the honorable acts of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the presence of a Gentile king, turned his heart to glorify our God. Although we struggle sometimes to see the benefits of the examples we show with our actions, those examples can and do become a reason for others to glorify our God. Glory to God is one of the most important ingredients to a Christian life. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's important message.
1: And you don't see that in Joseph. He's just like, you know what? Lord, I'm in your hand. I don't know what else to do, so I'm just going to submit to this authority that you placed in my life. And boy, that takes something. That takes something of the inner man that can only come from God. And that's the kind of thing that God wants to work in you and I. In Proverbs 16, verse 7, it says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And so here is Joseph in this strange land, in this strange place, undesirable, but yet making the best of it. And you recall, the butler and the baker were found uh, in conspiracy to bring hurt against Pharaoh, and they were thrown into the prison. But notice what it says in Genesis chapter 40, verse 4. It says, and then the captain of guard charged Joseph with them, with the butler and the baker. And notice, he served them. Notice the servant heart of Joseph. Now there's a butler and the baker, these officials of Pharaoh, in the prison now with him too. And Joseph served them. What, a, what an amazing heart. Again, conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And you recall that Pharaoh had a dream. He brought in all the soothsayers, all of his sorcerers, and he brought them all in, and they could not, they could not give him the interpretation of the dream. And Joseph, in his humility, he comes in and says, Pharaoh, I will be able to interpret this dream. But notice when we look at Genesis chapter 41, Joseph deflects the praise from himself because, remember, he had interpreted two dreams by those butler, the butler and the baker. One of them was restored to their job and the, and the baker was hung as a result of the dreams that Joseph had interpreted. And now Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can do anything. So they call in. Finally, the, the, the butler goes, oh, I remember there was this Hebrew in the jail. He can interpret this dream, so what does he do? He comes in, and in verse 41, verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. It is not in me. In other words, don't look at me as if I'm some great thing. I will give, uh, or it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So look at the humility. And again, the conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And then in verse 25 through 36 of that chapter, Joseph gives the interpretation of the dream to Pharaoh and the remedy, remember, to store up. There's going to be seven years of famine. You need to store up seven years, a fifth of the produce every single year, a fifth produce every, every single year so that when those seven years come about, you'll be able to sustain and notice what happens in Genesis 41, verses 39. It says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Notice the the honor that Pharaoh, this Gentile king, bestows upon a a Jewish man who was in prison. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my whole house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took off his signet ring, off his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. And again, Joseph, his conduct, honorable among the Gentiles. And see, that's what God wants to do in us. Now, we live, I'm a Gentile. I don't have any Jewish in me at all. I haven't done the Ancestry.com thing, but I'm pretty sure that all you're going to find is German and some Irish and some other mutt. I don't know. So you're going to, whatever I am, I don't really know, but um, I know I'm German, uh, and there might be some Irish, like I said, but there's no Jew in me. I wish there were, because I love the Jewish people. They're no different than us. They can be knuckleheads. They can be rebellious, but they're God's people. And you're God's people. The church, we are God's people. Let's look also at the the life of Daniel, too. In the book of Daniel, we're just going to do a quick survey of the first four chapters, and this won't take long. But in chapter 1, you recall, again, we're going to show just just the, the wonderful character of these men, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just these Hebrew youths going into a strange land, to a foreign land, to a Gentile king, will see that their conduct is honorable among the Gentiles. In chapter 1, Daniel, remember, they were taken captive and the king wanted to school them in all the fine things, to eat the the king's meat and to dress the certain way and go through all the schooling. And you recall that Daniel and his three fellows said, know what, we're going to do away with all that. Just give us Vegetables. Give us vegetables to eat, and we will be just fine. And and certainly after a a time of testing, it came to be that they looked fatter in flesh than all the other guys who were eating filet mignon and and, uh, baked potatoes and cheesecake from Cheesecake Factory. They were fatter in flesh when they were eating vegetables because they did not want to dishonor their God. They want to defile themselves with the king's meat. And they were examined by Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember, in chapter 1, and found them to be noticed ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all of his realm, conduct honorable among the Gentiles. In chapter 2, Daniel, remember, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of this being, this, this statue made of gold and silver and bronze and iron and iron mixed with clay. And he demanded that his astrologers and his men to tell him not only the dream but its interpretation, and nobody could do it. And he sent out a decree to kill all the wise men, of, or wise men of, of Babylon, including Daniel and his three fellows, because they were considered among those wise men. In verse 14, it says that the decision is made uh, known to Daniel that this is what's going to happen, and he asks the permission from the king for a little time to discern the dream and its interpretation, and he gets it by the grace of God. And then in verse 24, Daniel pleads with Ariok, was the captain of the guard, not to destroy the wise men in all the realm. Notice that. This was Daniel's grand moment. If he wanted to, he was already in a, um, uh, he was going to be in a place of of, of power and prestige, and if this was a a way to catapult him to the throne or catapult him into great power, this was it. If I can get rid of all those guys, I'll be the only guy because I'll interpret this dream, and I'll be saved, and all those guys will get hung. This was his moment, but notice, Daniel, he didn't do it. He pleaded for not only his own life, but for the life of all these men who were false preachers, false doctrine. They were preaching false things. And in verse 31, Daniel interprets a dream. And Daniel and his fellows were rewarded, and they were promoted greatly. They were promoted in a big way. Notice their conduct, honorable. Among the Gentiles. So what is your witness in your workplace? You know, when we look at Joseph and we look at Daniel, we're not done with Daniel. Here, we're going to get back to him, but what is your witness in the workplace? How is your conduct among the Gentiles, among those unbelievers around you? It's important to look, isn't it? Because, like we said before, we are to walk circumspectly. Because we know that wherever we walk, if we are called a Christian, people are looking to us. They're looking up to us. And they ought to look up to us. We're the only ones who have the truth in our heart. We're the only ones who have the real truth. Is there anything else in this world? Is there any other manual? Is there any other book that claims to be what this is? We have the answers. And we may not be able to give a specific answer for every single thing, but God has shown us the end from the beginning. He's shown it to us. And there's so much in here concerning life and godliness and the way to live and the way not to live. We have the answers, folks. And we have to give the answer, who is Christ, to everyone around us. How is, how is our witness in our workplace? How is our witness in our home, you know, with our own kids and family? In chapter 3, We see the devotion, the dedication, the separation, even unto death for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar created this image of gold, and he commanded that everyone would bow down to it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no way, we're not going to do it. You can do do with us whatever you want, but we've already made the decision. We're not going to do it. Now, where Daniel was, we don't know. He might have been off on an errand of state somewhere away from when this happened but they said we are not going to do it we don't care what you do to us and so notice the boldness the boldness so the king is furious he casts them into a fiery furnace and the three youths are there they're spared from death in that furnace by Jesus being in that furnace with them and nebuchadnezzar is totally blown away he is totally blown away and what is the result of their faith We read about it in Daniel chapter 3, verse 28. Let me read it to you. So Nebuchadnezzar, as a result of the the tenacity of the chutzpah of these three youths to say, we will not serve your gods, and be it come whatever, whatever it may, we will not. He throws him in the fire. It consumes the men who were throwing him in the fire. The furnace was so hot. And Jesus is there in the fire with them. And they, when they came out, the only things that were burnt were the ropes that bound them. There wasn't even the smell of smoke. Have you ever been in a fire? Have you been sat around a campfire long enough and the thing's blowing on you? Your clothes smell like the campfire for days. You wash them and you can still smell it. There was no smell of smoke on them whatsoever. God preserved them. But notice the result of their faith to this, on this pagan king who was, by the way, being wooed, God was wooing him, wooing Nebuchadnezzar to himself breaking this great king of kings lowercase k on both ends by the way he was breaking him notice what Nebuchadnezzar says Daniel three verse twenty eight says, "Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word." I'm no longer the big hot shot anymore. Nebuchadnezzar realizes he frustrated the king's word, and they yielded their bodies that they should not serve no worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. You know, this guy was really about decrees. Anything that really got him, you know, shot him and a, shocked him a little bit, he's like, I'm "Gonna make a decree." You can tell how bored he must have been before then with all the soothsaying and all the astrologers when the real thing happens and the real God shows up. He's like, he can only do what he can do. He gets excited. I'm going to make a decree. (laughs) This is what he says. I'll make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Again, their conduct, honorable among the Gentiles. And in chapter 4 of Daniel, we see Nebuchadnezzar having another dream, that of a large tree that was being cut down. And it was a, a prophecy of what would happen to Nebuchadnezzar in his life. And in verse 19, it says Daniel interprets this dream. He gives him the interpretation. And then literally in verse 28, this dream comes to pass and Nebuchadnezzar is drawn out, driven out. And for seven years, he loses his mind. His hair grows long. His nails grow like eagles. He's a mess. He's lost his mind. Again, another opportunity for Daniel, now being in a great position of power, to make a ascent to the throne King has lost his mind. But God told him it's going to be for seven years. So Daniel, willing to submit to God, what a favorable, what a wonderful man this is. Wonderful character. going to wait. I'm I'm going to pray for this guy. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to keep things in order so that when he's returned to his post, he will be restored. And then, So after this happens, Nebuchadnezzar is totally blown away. And Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, notice this. A result of Daniel's relationship and devotion to God. Let me read it to you. And this is the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the time, at the end of those seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among all the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand. Boy, that's a worship service. Do you see the worship in this man? He's worshiping God. This pagan king, his heart is changing, has changed. No one can restrain his word or say, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor, my splendor returned to me, and my counselors and my nobles, they resorted to me again. Nobody was trying to run over the throne and take my place. Daniel was the overseer of it all, and Daniel could have taken the moment and seized it, but he said, you know what, I'm going to submit to this man. Daniel knew his place in God's hand. Do you know your place, where your place is? You can ask God. He's not going to withhold it from you. Be diligent and pray about it. And don't fuss against where he places you. If He's places you as number three in the totem pole, you'd be the most faithful number three you've ever been. If he's placed you as an under rower, you'd be the most faithful under rower. If he's placed you at the head, you better be careful. <laughs> <laughs> and pray twice as hard, and, uh, you know, and, and be faithful in whatever you do. But notice what he says in verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and um, as he goes on in that verse, I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, notice, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Again, Daniel and his three fellows, conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Notice the influence and the consistency of their witness to this man. Started off as a man who would just kill anybody, feared. I mean, the, the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar and of Babylon was notorious for being ruthless. These guys were trained killers. And God was going to take this Hebrew young man from Judah and his three fellows, bring them into Babylon under captivity. And these four specifically would be instrumental in the salvation, being part of God's plan for this king to come to faith in Christ. It's kind of funny because remember Saddam Hussein. Saddam wanted to be, he thought himself as an ancestor of Nebuchadnezzar and saw him and Nebuchadnezzar. They even minted coins in Babylon with his inscription and Nebuchadnezzar's on the other side. So he wanted to be just like Nebuchadnezzar. But I wonder if he read the Bible. Because his idol, his mentor, the one he wanted to be like, I believe is in heaven. I pray that Saddam had the same fate. We don't know. But people are watching you. They're watching you and I, aren't they? So these two Hebrew men, Jewish, in a foreign land, under Gentiles, they were honorable. And with us, people are watching us too. We remember in Ephesians it says, See then that you walk circumspectly. Again, the scripture just comes back and it haunts us, doesn't it? But it's so important to us because we need to remember that we are being watched. Does that does that bother you? <laughs> To know that you're being watched. Know that your life is being examined. It's being scrutinized. By unbelievers. And by unbelievers. Your life is a museum piece. You are on display as people walk by. They're looking at you. They're watching you. How are they going to handle this? I heard that their parents, both of their parents were just killed in a car accident. How are they going to deal with that? I just found out that so-and-so left uh, her, her husband or his, or left, the husband left him, left her. Actually, in our culture, that could be true, couldn't it? Unfortunately. How are they going to deal with that? Where's the source of your power? Where's the source? Where's your strength? We should be careful. And like it says in Colossians walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Walk in wisdom, redeeming the time. For the days are evil. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each one. And in verse 12 there, we're back in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 12 it says, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. When they speak against you as evildoers. You know the Jewish people have been um, the brunt of, all throughout their existence, from the very beginning, they've been the brunt of jokes. They've been the brunt of myths. They've been the brunt of slander. There have been comic caricatures made of them and ridiculed, and propaganda has gone out against them. We live in an anti-Semitic world. And why is that? Because the devil knows that on a temple mountain in Jerusalem, he cannot do anything to stop it. There's going to be Jewish Messiah, his name is Jesus, and he is going to set foot on the Mount of Olives and the kingdom of the Antichrist is going to be dissolved. He's going to be destroyed. He knows that's coming. So what does he do? He punishes, he persecutes the woman, Israel, the Jewish people. He persecutes them. They have been, and yet, you know, no other race on the planet has been as hated and consistently targeted as they have, and yet they've been among the greatest minds on the planet in the fields of medicine, science, music, the fine arts, architecture, banking, philosophy. They've been the best at everything they do. They just recently found out they had, I even heard a, a thing on the news, I, don't, I haven't seen any more about it, but they claim they found a cure for cancer, a group of Israeli scientists, And I thought to myself, if anyone's going to find a cure, it's going to be the Jews. God has just given them a great gift, a great mind. I love them. But they've been the brunt of everything throughout history. During the Middle Ages, remember when the bubonic plague was going throughout Europe, killing millions of people, the Jewish race were the the race of people who were Largely unaffected. They were affected in a very small degree, very small degree. And everyone around is dropping like flies and they're thinking, you guys must be the, the reason for it, right? So instead of rejoicing that people are living, rather they become more of targets because now the public is turning against them thinking that they had something to do with it, that they are the cause for this bubonic plague. And they were strongly accused as a result And even more recently, in the 1940s, during World War II, Hitler tried to exterminate the Jewish race. And he succeeded in over six million Jews, throwing them in ovens, gassing them in chambers, torturing them, mutilating them. I'll never forget one of the most touching things I've ever seen in my life was when we went to Israel in 2005. We went through the Israel Museum in Jerusalem.
0: I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time when Pastor Rob continues our study in First Peter. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625.